Formosa Files is sponsored by the Frank C. Chen Cultural Foundation. Frank Chen, Chen Qi Tuan, served as the mayor of Kaohsiung City from 1960 to 1968 and founded the Kaohsiung Medical College. Formosa Files. My name is Tom Wong. I'm the branch chief of the American Institute in Taiwan's Kaohsiung branch office, and you're listening to the Formosa Files today about the American Institute in Taiwan's Kaohsiung branch. Okay, let's pause here for a second. Before we get into the deep topics such as AIT's Kaohsiung role, its services, its scope, its adherence to U.S. government policy, and, you know, all that, I thought we'd all try and get to know Tom a little bit better. So I came up with these super original questions. Number one, Chodofu. Tried it? Tried it. Like it? I don't love it. <laughs> Funny story. So you know, my, my wife and kids actually live in Taipei, but my, my son, who's lived probably six years, seven years here, uh, they were just out at a market about two weeks ago, and he asked for Chodofu. It blew my mind. Blew my mind. Okay. Two. And this one's important. Bing Lang. So I have tried it. Hmm. Don't love it. <laughs> it's an acquired taste. I, I suppose. Number three, pig blood cake. Tried it. Don't love it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm willing to pretty much try anything. Even like organs I've tried, but I just, uh, I figure I'd give every, everything a shot. And finally, you've lived in Taipei in the north and Kaohsiung in the south. Which one do you like more? I could tell you, but I have to kill you. <laughs> um, but let me let me think. Um, I'm in, I'm in the south. I, I can say I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, southern, I'm a southerner. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So now that Tom has bared his soul, let's get to the interview. I wanted to start by just going over the general history of uh, AIT for a second. So. How about if I just tell you what I know and uh, you can correct me uh, anything that I get wrong. So as I understand it, we know that President Nixon first went off to China and uh, he talked to the leaders there about switching relations, but that didn't happen until 1979. And of course, there were some in Taiwan who were very disappointed by this decision. and It's understandable. But it only took 15 days, as I understand it, for the U.S. government to begin the American Institute in Taiwan. And since then, I can't think of another larger de facto embassy in, in Taipei than um, what we have in Taiwan. So we have pretty much every possible connection that we can that's just not exactly official. That's right. We do enjoy robust, unofficial relations here with, with Taiwan. There you go. You're the diplomat. Yes, thank you. So based on the history that you described, you're right. When the United States changed relations from Taipei to, to Beijing, we, we did cease official relations with Taiwan. But how AIT was established was that the U.S. Congress acted very quickly after this executive branch decision. So after the U.S. Congress passed the Taiwan Relations Act, that's how AIT was established. And so we've been in operation since 1979. Um, you may recall a few years ago, we had our AIT at 40. That, unsurprisingly, coincided with the signing of the Taiwan Relations Act. And we've enjoyed very, very robust relations since then. So in addition to the Taipei main office, we have the Kaohsiung branch office, which I'm head of right now. 
And there's also um, either a director or someone in the States that supervises this whole operation. Uh, we, have a, we have a chair who's based in Washington, right? So when did uh, the American Institute in Taiwan open a branch in Kaohsiung? And what was the reasoning behind putting it in Kaohsiung rather than, say, Taichung or somewhere else? Right. So actually, uh, we were here before 1979. Um, we, we had a U.S. information service uh, building here in, in Kaohsiung, and that became uh, AIT Kaohsiung. And we saw that actually around Taipei as well. So uh, where the old AIT was on uh, Xinlu, that was actually the uh, the military or military assistance advisory group, um, and that became kind of the AIT. It was originally a temporary space, and temporary space lasted forty years right. until we moved into our current space in in, in Nehu. But all around Taiwan, even before then, we we've had uh, representation. So. We had back in the 50s, 60s, we had a language school uh, that was in Taichung, and that eventually moved up to Taipei at, at Yangmingshan. So our branch in Kaohsiung is actually not not new. We, we've been here since since the start. But of course, our, our responsibility in southern Taiwan is to push forward United States foreign policy objectives in in southern Taiwan, and our district covers uh, seven cities and counties. So Jai County, Jai City in south. It also includes uh, Taidong and uh, the outer island of, of Penghu. Yeah, I, I'm interested in what you just talked about. Um, every now and then I'll get an email from AIT saying that they're offering services in Jai for a day or something. So this is very interesting because I don't know like how many Americans live in Penghu, for example, or Taidong or some of these you know, more rural areas. Is it a, a number that is, is significant or very, very small? Well, it's it's hard to track the exact number of United States citizens in our in our district, but based on our our records, and our records are really based on folks that that register with us. We have about thirteen thousand U.S. citizens in our district, so we realize that people can't all come to Gaoshan to get services, or sometimes it's not convenient. So when when we can, we try to get out to separate cities and counties to provide kind of mobile services to help the American citizens out there. Yeah, from what I've heard from friends in uh, Pingdong, they really appreciate it. I'm glad to hear that. Are there any services that you provide to Americans that perhaps I'm not aware of? Well, we provide the standard suite of services, for example, passports. When American citizens have children here, we provide something called the consular, consular report of birth abroad. In fortunate circumstance, when someone passes away here, we provide similar consular reports of death abroad certificates. But there are also special services that we provide. So if U.S. citizens get into accidents or um, get into other unfortunate situations, we are there to make sure that they are treated the best they can be. Right. Like uh, getting arrested or something like that. You'd, you'd send right. somebody to see how they're being treated. and Right. Right. Yeah. We, we do make uh, prison visits and, and, and things like that. I mean, I think contrary to maybe what people see in, in the movies, we can't really bail people out of jail. We can't go in and you know, re no rescue them. No SEAL Team 6, unfortunately. But it must be very nice for someone who's in that unfortunate situation to at least know that they're not abandoned. Yeah, I, I hope that's something that we can convey as, as Americans. And that's, I think that's very much in the American spirit to kind of take care of one another to make sure that, that we are, we are uh, all, all treated uh, respectfully and, and with dignity. 
Are you, uh, your, your parents are Taiwanese or did you? Yeah, my, my mother is, is, uh, is actually from Kaohsiung. She grew up here. So I think that's one of the beauties of, of the United States, frankly speaking, you know, we're a nation of immigrants. And I can't think of another country where someone, someone can serve in the place where their mother is, is from. Um, so actually, we just celebrated Mother's Day here in, in Taiwan. And my mom was actually here in Taiwan. So we were able to celebrate that together. In addition to that, uh, May was also Asian American Pacific Islander Heritage Month. So I was able to take her to one of my events here in Kaohsiung. And we went to the National Kaohsiung University up in the Nanzi district. And very coincidentally, my mom grew up in the Nanzi district at the old uh, CPC refinery. So, so we, did, we did visit there. Uh, I know they're really well known for their popsicles, the, the, the bing bong, right? So we got a, uh, a popsicle and that helped her kind of relive her youth slightly. And did you come to Taiwan uh, previously before you were assigned here? Uh, I did. I, I came to visit a few times when I was a kid. My first time here, I want to say, was around 1984, 1985. And I, I, I vividly remember staying on the, uh, the oil refinery grounds. Uh, they, they were well known to have swimming pools, I think like clay, tennis courts, very fond memories. So when you came back as an adult, what was possibly the thing that surprised you the most? Uh, what surprised me the most? I think as an adult, actually, what surprised me was I didn't quite understand the history of, of Taiwan as well as I do now as, as an adult. And I, I also uh, went to graduate school or, or went through a lot of courses on, on, on Taiwan, kind of cross-strait relations. So I guess what really surprised me was, was the fact that when I came you know, back in the, the 80s, I mean, Taiwan was, I think, still under martial law. But it just never occurred to me um, until I came back that it was just a different period of time in, in Taiwan's democratic transition. So that really made me think about some of the things I saw, I experienced, which as a kid, you don't really, you just kind of you know, think that's the, the way it is. And I didn't see anything that was out of the ordinary, but it, it did make me really try to pluck out some details from, from my youth. Yeah. And also, it's a pretty unique situation where most of the other revolutions or changes uh, that brought about democracy that I can think of throughout history, or at least recent history, they've involved some sort of violence or some sort of overthrow or something. But we sort of segued into democracy. And perhaps that's why for some people it's, it's underappreciated. Yeah, I've, I've personally been, been amazed by, by Taiwan's democracy. Prior to this job in Kaohsiung, I actually worked in, in, in Taipei, AIT Taipei, where I was a political officer. So I, I was here, I saw the, the 2020 elections, and I recall just going to the political rallies to see how vibrant they were, to see how passionate the voters were about their candidate. I recall the day of the election where people go to these polling stations to watch every single vote counted. And, and to see that, that level of passion, that level of dedication to democracy, it, it's something that, I mean, frankly, I, I've never seen in the United States. You know, like in the United States, I don't know if I've, I mean, I, I think I've met my senator or congressman a handful of times, but it's not like here where you kind of, you see him on high-speed rail, you see him on the streets, you can go up and say hello. So I, I do think that there is a real sense of a love for democracy here, and, and that is uh, very reassuring. And the turnout for elections, especially presidential elections, puts America to shame. It does. It does. We get, what, 80, sometimes more? Yeah. It's, it's, there are numbers that are unheard of in the, in the United States. Mm. I know one of our big talking points 
is that uh, the U.S. support for Taiwan is is rock solid, and, and that's something that we 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 say repeatedly. But I think the one thing that I also want to communicate that it's not just rock solid; it's historical and it's deep rooted. And I think just throughout Taiwan, whether in Taipei or Kaohsiung, you see kind of traces of this U.S. these U.S. roots everywhere you go. And and for example, in Taipei. The former ambassador's residence, when we had formal relations, is now the Spot uh, Film House in, in Taipei. In, in Kaohsiung, back in the, the fall of last year, uh, AIT Kaohsiung actually held this exhibit called Happy Days. And that celebrated the era from the 1950s to the 1970s when Kaohsiung was actually a, a, an R&R location, a rest and relaxation location for the U.S. Navy. So if you go to places around like the Yanchung District in, in Kaohsiung, you can see kind of these remnants of, of U.S. Uh, historical ties there. And one of the things that, that I did that was really neat, I, I did this with, with our, with our director, uh, Outkirk last year. So we went to this restaurant called New International Steakhouse. And, uh, you know, they they have a history of, of kind of, kind of being established back in the day when sailors still, still came to the district. And so they tried to preserve that aura and they still serve their meat on these, these iron plates that were remnants of that of that time, but I think kind of all around that area you see this. And in our exhibit, we had really neat things. Uh, we had we had kind of a, a model of a tailor that sailors used to go to get suits made. We had like a mock bar uh, area where you had like the vinyl uh, that was pasted to the to the wall. Um, I remember there were like uh, bottles of Coca Cola that were popular back then. So I think there are really these really really deep ties. And if I may, we had this just really interesting run-in um, last week. Uh, myself and our, our our director, we went to Tainan, and uh, we went to the Confucius Temple and decided to get some fruit right across the street at this uh, fruit stand called Lili, uh, Lili Fruit Stand. Uh, right next to the Lili Fruit Stand, this building called the Japanese Patri- Patriotic Women's Association. And so that actually used to be where the United States Information Service had their office when they were in, in Tainan. Uh, so a little bit of background about the United States Information Service or USIS. So I said before, like in Kaohsiung, the USIS office became AIT, AIT uh, Kaohsiung. So in Taipei as well, we had a USIS office that later it became an office called the American Cultural Center. And, and, and after, uh, I think, 2003 or so, that American Cultural Center moved to another location, but where that building was is now the National 228 Museum in Taipei. So, so we kind of have these remnants everywhere. But anyway, in, in, in Tainan, we were eating fruit, and then the owner just came out, and he was around the, the days of the USIS office in Tainan, remembered the office fondly. His sister, in fact, worked for that office, and it was just a tie that just around Taiwan, and we were just there eating fruit, eating you know mango shaved ice, and the story just kind of came out, and it was it was really touching to to all of us to to see this like deep tie between the United States and, and Taiwan, and and the and the fact that the owner was still so fond of his memories of the USIS days and fond of the experiences he had with the U.S. diplomats who who served there. I mean, it was, it was very meaningful for us. Mm. What would be uh, some of the things that you love the most, specifically about Southern Taiwan. I, I think one of the things I really appreciate about Southern Taiwan is the diversity of it. I think when people, especially in the United States, when they think of Taiwan, they think of a very homogeneous population. But coming down here, it made me realize that, that Taiwan is, one, a very diverse place. And two, that Southern Taiwan and Kaohsiung especially is diverse as well. 
Um, we at AIT Kaohsiung, we, we do a lot with the indigenous community here. One of the things that we really advocate as a U.S. government are uh, principles that we call DIA that are very, very popular in the United States now. So diversity, equity, inclusion, accessibility. So we try to incorporate what we believe as a country into our diplomatic work. So with the indigenous community, I personally have, have didn't know that in, in our district, we have uh, every tribe uh, represented down here. Um, and actually one of the things that was, has been more memorable, so I, I was invited to a, um, a sacred shell ceremony by the, the uh, I'm probably going to mess up the name. It's like the Halaula tribe. My, my team's looking at me funny. But it's it's one of the smaller tribes, and they have a have a sacred shell ceremony. It's in the, um, the Taoyuan district of, of Kaohsiung. So they invited me to that ceremony, and it was actually a very very touching experience for me to to get to that site. We had to we, I went in a vehicle. We had to cross this this bridge that was barely wide enough for for one car. When we got there, um, it was an early morning ceremony, and and. The residents there were so happy that that I showed up. I, they said I was the first AIT person to ever go, and that was actually very touching. And they celebrated with some early morning drinking, which I, I tried to moderate a, a bit. Um, but one of the things it was a bit surprising that they had me participate in one of their uh, their, their ceremonies where they sacrificed a, a, a pig. So um, I thought it was going to be a very ceremonial procedure where, you know, I had a bow and arrow, I shot it into fire, and there was maybe some stabbing of, of the pig to draw some blood. Um, but there was a little bit more than that. There was, there was some real slaughtering going on, and it was... <laughs> Pigs are noisy. There, yeah, it was noisy. It was not... I, I got about a uh, five-second warning that, I was, <laughs> that this was going to happen. Well, at least they didn't ask you to actually do the killing. It, yeah, correct, correct. But we, I think I was eating pork at the time, too. So, <laughs> but, uh, but things like that, for me... Are things I'll never forget about about Southern Taiwan, the diversity. Mm -hmm. I know what you mean. And then there's the Hakka groups. Um, yeah. Not uh, the difference between the Hakka and the North and the South is a totally different ball game. They have a totally different history story. And yeah, I mean, speaking of kind of the diversity and and you know, you mentioned Hakka culture as well. Like, so I want to take the opportunity. I don't know if you you saw our our, our mascot. And I think we're one of the few kind of diplomatic posts in in the world that has a has a mascot. But if is, it you, a, is it a bison? So it's a water buffalo. But if you, but if you look at kind of like the water buffalo or the mascot in its entirety, we do try to infuse aspects of U.S. and 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 Taiwanese culture. So this this water buffalo, his name is Amigu. He's an exchange student from from Texas, and uh, he is he is wearing a shirt that is marked by Hakka floral patterns. Mm. He's wearing blue jeans. And even his name is kind of an infusion of, of U.S. Taiwan culture. So Amigu, I've been told, means means beautiful cow in, in Taiyu. Mm. Uh, so, and, and one of the things that I like to say as well, like Amigu kind of sounds like amigo, his friend, you know, in, in Spanish. So, so we are very proud of uh, the fact that we have a, a mascot. Again, it's not common in the diplomatic world. Um, but we have, via Amigu, kind of built bridges with other communities, with kind of underrepresented communities to show the diversity, to show our, our welcoming of different cultures and, and melding in, in, into, into one. And we are sitting right now at the Heti Library in Kaohsiung, where AIT has had a, a relationship with this particular library for a while. Um, there's book reading, uh, book donations, um, 
How did that get started? That's right. So one of the biggest components of our public diplomacy work is something called American Spaces, where we partner with with local entities to create these spaces to host events, whether it's for bilingual learning, it's for for sharing American culture. So we have American Spaces in our district in, in Kaohsiung, in Tainan, Pingdong. And uh, just earlier this year, we opened one up in Penghu, which was our first, which is all of AIT's um, our first American space outside of uh, the main island of, of Taiwan. So American space is kind of the general term for um, areas which, which you see, but we do kind of distinguish by size. So where we are now in Kaohsiung, it is the American corner. In uh, Tainan, Pingdong, and in Penghu, we call them shelves. Spaces are smaller, but they're equally vibrant and full of, uh, I think, eager uh, Taiwanese willing to, to learn more about U.S. culture. So you get a budget from the federal government to host these things? We do. We do. Cool. And I think part of our public diplomacy work, and what we do say, one of our main objectives here is to enhance people-to-people ties. And we do say economic and people-to-people diplomacy. That's kind of the bedrock of the U.S.-Taiwan relationship. So we do try to get to different areas, the the mountainous areas, which are different from cities. But we also try to provide some opportunities for them to, one, help them get more competitive in in kind of like the, the the modern environment. And two, to help them build more resilience. And I can give two examples of that. So one, one of the big uh, programs out of AIT Kaohsiung is something called Tech Camp Kaohsiung that recently concluded, but it was a year-long program that we had to train indigenous entrepreneurs in um, kind of the digital economy. So we, we got folks, established business folks, uh, kind of provide uh, lessons and trainings on digital tools, how to make their small businesses more competitive and how to scale them up. And uh, I think that was a pretty successful project that we had. And it focused on specifically indigenous and women entrepreneurs in in Southern Taiwan. And this was um, based on a grant that we got specifically from Washington, DC. So we were were very proud of that. Um, On the resilience point, I mean, I I think, you know, everyone who kind of follows geopolitics, they hear about the Taiwan Relations Act, they hear about how the US is obligated to support Taiwan's self-defense. But one of the things that we do too, I mean, we're, we're, we're more on the ground here. We're, we're local. We're doing stuff on the people-to-people front. So these kind of resilience building activities that we, that we support are related to, to first aid, to humanitarian uh, assistance and disaster relief. Um, so one of the things that we have as well, and this is island-wide, uh, we do these workshops where we provide residents with trainings on on basic first aid skills, such as how to tie a tourniquet. Because um, I think based on the U.S. experiences um, over the past 20 years in Iraq, Af- Afghanistan, we found out that kind of one of the biggest things that have caused loss of life, they've been loss of blood. So we find just basic skills like how to, how to tie a tourniquet, they're, they're important. I just realized, I mean, I'm not implying that this is necessarily a, a, a conflict scenario, but even in, in natural disasters, I and mean, people get into car, car accidents, typhoons happen all the time. Earthquakes are, are frequent. There's no escaping our big neighbor to the, to the west. There is no escaping that, but what people can do, I think, is just be prepared. And, and even knowing these basic first aid skills is something that they can do. So we've had people ask, like, what can I, what can I do to help support Taiwan's self-defense? Well, you can help your community. You can learn the skills to help each other. So these humanitarian assistance disaster relief workshops are designed to provide exactly that. And it's not just how to provide a tourniquet, but it's also like if a natural disaster strikes, 
how, how to react. Like it's, it's basically don't panic. Make sure you, you're well prepared. So we, we, we encourage folks to have, have go bags because if something happens to their apartment, if earthquake happens or, or, or if they can't, if they need to get out quickly, they'll have something that they can take right away. Or conversely, if they're not, uh, if they're in a place where they shouldn't leave, they should have like, uh, I guess call it a stay kit or something like that. So it, there are things like that that we also do down here to enhance the resilience of, of folks here. So, so basically, we, we just want to elevate people's ability here to weather adversity. Speaking of the, the big neighbor to the West, I've found that quite a few Taiwanese people are a little bit unclear, or, or even uh, Americans for that matter, unclear on the position that America actually takes towards Taiwan. And we're not supposed to get real political here, but it's just interesting how America acknowledges China's position, but it's not like a, a, a rubber stamp or an agreement necessarily in any way. Right. I mean, that, that's been, been the policy, the, the U.S. policy towards, towards China, um, or one China policy for 40 years and counting, and um, it, it hasn't changed. Branch Chief Tom Wong. Thank you for speaking with Formosa Files. Well, th thank you very much, Eric. I, I know I, I had a tough task to compete with your stories of the, the murder of the century or the white Formosan, but uh, I, I hope, I hope uh, listeners were entertained by, by our conversation and learned something. <laughs> 